Welcome to Fintech Fridays. Oh yeah! A weekly podcast brought to you by the National Crowdfunding and Fintech Association of Canada and Partners. Covering all things fintech, blockchain, P2P, AI, and alternative finance. Hey everybody, how are you doing today? I'm Sleep Khan here and you are tuning in to Fintech Fridays, brought to you by Canada's National Fintech and Crowdfunding Association, also known as the NCFA. Today, I have an absolutely incredible guest. If you guys are very versed in the industry, you might know who he is. We got Michael Zavitt from Hyperion Exchange. Michael, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, no, absolutely. So just for the audience, uh, for I guess the three or four people that don't know who you are, essentially what your company does, could you just give us a little rundown of who you are and what Hyperion Exchange is? I've been in the crypto space for about two years now. I, I entered in the space through sort of the lens of traditional finance. So I think all the issues that are kind of now becoming the focus of regulators and things like that, I decided to look for certain solutions that involve sort of, you know, compliance first kind of model. And that's what led me to establishing Hyperion as sort of a compliance first exchange. And what Hyperion is uh, or aims to be is a crypto securities exchange. So an exchange that offers STOs, which would be a product similar to an IPO in essence, but um, through you guys do like to call yourself a hybrid exchange, right? Like, like, like you just mentioned, you want to focus a little bit more on security tokens and stable uh, tokens. Could you talk a little bit more of what a hybrid exchange looks like um, to you guys and where you kind of see, do you see this becoming more of a trend? Do you see more companies going into it? Could you just talk a little bit more about that? So as a hybrid exchange, we are initially launching with, you know, sort of the traditional tokens that exist right now, the Bitcoins and Ethereum and other uh, what are called utility tokens. And the reason being that, you know, that that's where the market is today. But what we feel is going to happen is there's going to be this evolution of asset backed and, and tokenized securities. And a lot of the ICOs that exist today, I mean, in reality, they actually are securities and sort of took advantage of this uh, time and framework that was very new and, and regulators didn't understand in order to raise funds. But uh, we're seeing that, that is no longer going to fly. Um, and a lot of these projects are now being scrutinized. So what we're seeing is that companies now uh, are doing compliant offerings through what would be an STO. So while we're launching with sort of the utility tokens that slid by under the old framework, we are aiming to start listing uh, these new vehicles, which would be the SDOs. Awesome. So I guess this is more of a temporary shift. And then hopefully, like, I mean, everybody else in the space, it just goes full, just exchange mode, right? Like, it's not this Frankenstein kind of exchange. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it's temporary. There, you know, there's a huge appetite for, for the top market tokens and the reality of the space. So um, we're going to take advantage of, of, of that and, and give investors what they want. Um, but I think that as the shift starts happening, um, it'll be very interesting to see kind of the new products that, that will arise from it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know I've definitely covered in some of the past episodes of essentially what stable coins are and security coins are, but we've actually never really gotten depth. For a second, could you just give a little bit more of an understanding why people in the industry, be it investors, be it actually crypto versus people, are kind of pushing for stable coins and security coins compared to like this, the quote unquote traditional ICOs? Yeah, so with, with stable coins, I, I think um, 
Well, the main thing is when you're investing on an exchange, you need something to sort of, you know, uh, secure your investment. So when you exit, let's say, and you take your gains from a Bitcoin or, or any other token, for example, you need to park them somewhere temporarily unless you're withdrawing them from the exchange, which will take some time, right? Um, and that's why there's this push for stable coins because essentially you know that your dollar value will be at par with the currency that the stable coin represents. So there's a huge appetite for it. And the other thing is that the first stable coin, let's say Tether, probably the first one or at least the most popular one that kind of came out, um, has now caught a lot of slack and came under scrutiny. So this created an opportunity for companies to produce their own stable coins and some have very creative methods. Uh, you know, uh, Tether was tied to USD, but now we're seeing stable coins that are tied to gold and other products. And there's a huge appetite for that. With regards to the STOs, what's happening with STOs is essentially very similar to traditional security offerings. So in the United States, we're seeing a lot of Reg B offerings coming out as STOs, uh, as well as Reg CS and possibly down the road, Reg A plus. And, and in Canada, there will be OSC compliant offerings. So uh, what we're seeing is essentially a very similar path to um, raising equity for a traditional company, except through a tokenized vehicle. And the reason people do this is because you're opening up to the crypto investors and, and, and looking for other liquidity methods. Yeah, no, that, that beautifully goes into, I guess, like the next question that I was going to ask of you're actually seeing, I mean, being part of the startup space, you're seeing a lot of startups actually consider um, instead of just going through the traditional either VC or angel investor route, they're actually thinking of launching an ICO and just seeing how it goes there. Do you think, do you see any stability when it comes to like or see like a more of a permanent future of companies actually launching ICOs or do you think this is just a hype because crypto and blockchain and just everything's just been very much hyped up for the past 18, 24 months. So do you see this actually having an, a legit runway and companies are actually going to just go like, nope, we're just going to raise completely from ICOs? I think that we're at a very critical kind of um, phase right now. Uh, the market's been bearish over the last while, so their confidence has come down. Um, I think that there's, it's going to be an evolution, definitely. Uh, we're seeing a lot of projects now fail doing the ICO route. Um, and that being that, you know, there were a lot of, I would say, non-legitimate companies or bad actors who took advantage of the hype and raised money and then delivered no product. Um, so there was definitely a lot of investors that were left holding the bag, so to speak. And that kind of painted a bad negative picture of the ICO in general. So I think that it's going to be up to sort of the good actors as well as the regulators to produce good products that return value to investors in order to validate the method and, and, and the space in general. Um, and this is sort of the critical time when that's going to happen. I'm confident that it will, but I think only time will tell. And, you know, on that note, there have been a lot of amazing projects that have done ICOs successfully and created a lot of value. It just, again, like, like we mentioned, just, it's a matter of time and like hopefully regulators either be the government or I guess other third party validators to hopefully see that, okay, like there's actually some kind of validity to this. Um, do you see ICOs replace IPOs in the future? If so, what would be the benefits of it? I think that it could happen. Um, what I see more likely is sort of a merger. Um, if the technology is adopted by major exchanges like the NASDAQs of the world, 
um, then I think that it would make sense to do sort of tokenized offerings. I mean, even now you see the blockchain is, is used in a lot of ways that aren't necessarily kind of, you know, user facing, for example, in the background. And the technology behind an ICO or a tokenized offering is, it makes sense over a paper securities traditional way, right? Because it's a programmable uh, unit which can be modified on the fly and, and, it's a lot. It's a lot more adaptable. To, it's a lot more adaptable, and it's essentially taking what we do now and and stepping it to the next level because paper securities have not changed in a hundred years. So it's very possible that in the future every exchange will adopt the technology, but again, it's hard to say. Yeah, because it's it's a very. I mean, we've mentioned a couple times in the show that it's very much it's a grand experimentation, and we're just kind of seeing what sticks or what doesn't stick and it falls into like regulations look is crypto a security is it a commodity like what do we kind of classify it as and like whatever we define it as we move forward to work. that's exactly right. it and, and and on that note a lot of the bigger institutional players are definitely taking note i mean uh we had a meeting with SP recently and they approved those actually these QCIPs. so essentially they are giving us the validation that we're looking for and as other institutions start hopping in, then you know it's definitely a good vote of confidence for, for the space. I know we had you mentioned like Galaxy Digital a couple times in the show, like how you're having all these like big big players, like institutions, just kind of slowly come into the market, and I guess that's going to help even more with validity and just a lot more. It's going to be a hybrid of like the old world meets the new world, and kind of seeing yeah kind of meets the middle. Now, absolutely. I mean, even just a few weeks ago, Fidelity announced that they were going to start offering custody solutions. Um, so, you know, as more of these players kind of pop in, then uh, I think that that'll definitely help push us towards where we want to go. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. So, I mean, speaking of regulations, um, you guys are regular with the SEC and you guys are with the OSC, right? Because the I remember there was a there was a hundred day there was a hundred day limit that you or hundred day countdown. I don't know if you guys cleared it because I haven't really seen much on that yeah so um in canada we are uh dealing with the osc right now we're we're actually in the process of of applying for an msb um which hopefully we'll have in the next few weeks Mm -hmm. um after which we're going to seek to acquire an ats uh license either through application or acquisition in the u.s we acquired an ats and broker dealer so we're regulated by finra and the sec right so i mean dealing with regulations and just dealing with the government in general because you guys are since you guys are going a little bit more the securities route you guys are tied down geographically how do you see government regulations put in place like what regulations are you hoping that either the canadian government or the u.s government are going to help put in place to make it a fair game for everybody but still be innovative yeah so um we're hoping that there will be some kind of framework laid out within the next year or so you know, it's taken a while for some of these bodies to uh, respond because, you know, they're collecting their information and doing their diligence. And, you know, given how large these institutions are and uh, how much is resting on their decisions, I think that it will not happen overnight. But we are hoping that in the next few months, we'll see more light shed on, on how they want to see STOs offered and that the system will change because currently, uh, for example, with Reg D offerings, you can only offer them to accredited investors. And that's mostly what we're seeing through STOs currently. Uh, but that leaves out a lot of the retail investors from being able to uh, get involved and, and benefit from early stage investments. So uh, we're hoping that 
these kind of ranks will change over time. Mm. So I guess you're kind of, I guess would governments in general adopting um, these emerging technologies, would that be a factor? Is like, is that also hope that you guys are, I mean, you and like other companies in the space are hoping, I mean, the best way to understand something is to be in it, right? Absolutely. And and I think that uh, there's no doubt that they're looking into it as to speak. Um, and there's a lot of test projects and, and, and adoption happening. Um, it's just the pace of it is quite slow. And, you know, for good reason. They're, they're also trying to protect investors. Yeah, because they still want to do their due diligence behind it, right? And you don't want to just be, again, you don't want to the hype and then realize, like, this, this whole short-term burst just ruining the long-term plan when it comes to just fully adopting that's absolutely right i mean if something you know catastrophic crash happens now it's gonna be hard to recover um mm-hmm. there's a lot of value that will be lost i mean the market is over 200 billion dollars and um you know that's a lot of value to a race so fingers crossed <laughs> so to go a little bit more nitty-gritty what regulations are you hoping that can make canada a little bit more competitive because you know compared to asian markets and maybe in the u.s market themselves we are falling behind would it be regulations that are going to help us stay competitive or is it a mindset thing? Like what in, in your, in your eyes, what do you think can help Canadians become a lot more competitive in the space? Yeah, I think it's a combination of adoption and uh, of course regulation. I don't think like the OSC has been too bad with, with regulating the, the space compared to some of the other institutions. SEC, for example, has been a lot harsher on the crypto space in general. So I think Canada actually does maintain a fairly good competitive edge, and there's a lot of amazing projects that have come out of Canada um, and continue to come out of Canada. So I, I think that Canada will be a big player in, in the blockchain space in the future, and as long as we you know, uh, strive to regulate and, and, and moderate the space, then it will continue to grow. Yeah, I, I believe it's a matter of time situation for, I guess, the Canadian space, because it's... Canadians and self in general like to play by the rules and stay within the lines. So it makes sense that they kind yeah, of waited right. out, right? They, they, it makes sense that they kind of waited out a little bit and it's kind of see where it kind of leads to, right? Absolutely. And traditionally, the OSC does kind of look to the SEC to see how they respond and react to things. So uh, naturally, I think that's going to happen in this situation too. Mm-hmm. But uh, that being said, up till now, the OSC has been fairly welcoming of crypto and innovation in general. Um, and I think the, that's been a really great uh, competitive. I mean, I, I guess the fear would be that you have the old institutional world would be a little bit more, they'd be, uh, they'd be kind of like touching us at a 10 foot pole when it comes to like this new innovative technology. So it's kind of comforting to hear that they're like, no, they're actually willing to work with us. They're, they're willing to like go through the regulations and actually like fully adopt this and see, see what the hype is really about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm confident that, that Canada will be a hub for blockchain. Yeah, it already is, but will continue to be so. Huh, I'm excited because Canada is already slowly becoming a hub for AI technology. So it should be, that's, that's, even, that's even more exciting that like it's also has a potential of becoming a blockchain hub as well. Absolutely. The other industry that gets very much slammed together with crypto and blockchain will be the cannabis space, which is something that you're actually well-versed in, right? You've, you've recently ran a publicly owned company. How do you see the cannabis space and the crypto space, I guess, working together, call it a marriage, and what does that marriage look like? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, cannabis and crypto are often kind of lumped together because they're both such nascent industries. Um, 
that said, there's a lot of parallels and there's a lot of differences. They, they're not the same by any means. Uh, but there are a lot of projects that do kind of intermingle with, with the two. I think that there have been a lot of challenges when it comes to creating products in this space uh, through crypto because it seems like people were kind of targeting a low-hanging fruit that didn't have too much value. But that being said, I think that, I mean, already I know that some cannabis companies are utilizing uh, crypto for things like supply chain management and, and, and more back-end uh, uses. And that's sort of how I see it going forward. But And possibly also from an STO perspective, uh, we know that a lot of U.S. cannabis companies, for example, they cannot go public in the U.S. because federally they're still considered illegal. And due to that, they have no means of accessing liquidity and a very challenging time uh, acquiring capital. Uh, and so I think that that is actually a very interesting marriage between crypto and cannabis being a vehicle for, for cannabis companies to be able to fundraise and access liquidity. Yeah, and it should be interesting to see cannabis and like other just emerging startups to later adopt like when it i guess when it when it becomes federally legal if it becomes federally legal uh in the states of it just being like a supplementary fund stream right we're going to launch a keef token and it's going to help us blow mm -hmm. up or whatever right totally and and the other thing is that they can uh issue some unique you know financial products that are hard to access right now uh for example they can offer instead of just traditional equity revenue streams things like that so it gives investors sort of you know different products to play with how do you see that shift happening, right? Because that's it's quite a shift of like, instead of offering equity, offering revenue stream, streams instead. I guess, what does that conversation look like? Yeah, I think these products already exist. I mean, you know, there's, huh, there's, okay. there's things similar to bonds and things like that. Um, and it's really just about tokenizing them and, and, you know, making them accessible to retail investors. So I think that's really kind of the main thing that retail investors currently, many don't know how to access these products. I mean, you know, opening a brokerage account uh, is simple enough, sure, but getting into some of the more uh, complex vehicles, not so much. Buying equities, pretty straightforward, but um, I don't think that your average retail investor necessarily understands how to, you know, access some of these other products that don't rely on equity. I've definitely dinged on this a couple times, but I think it's an education thing, right? Like we have amazing companies like you, as long as you guys are educating and like you guys out of their exchanges, you guys are making security tokens a focus and you hear about it here and there, you see a blog post an article of why security tokens would be important. But by having companies like having sole focuses on certain areas and like educating on certain areas, retail investors and just, I guess, traditional investors in general are just having a better understanding of like what they want to put their money in. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that there's going to be a massive kind of a education curve that has to happen. You know, people need to be made aware of these products and understand them and, and really also not fear them because talk to probably your average person who's just heard of crypto, well, odds are they've heard some negative things, they don't understand it, and, and there's definitely been, you know, some negative press surrounding the space in general. So there's a lot of education that has to happen that's going to be up to the companies to do that. And for adoption to happen, uh, people need to be made aware properly. Yeah. Hey, I mean, I try to use, I run a financial tech podcast and I mostly have crypto guys um, as an icebreaker on dates. And that's, oh boy, like that, that gets a little tricky. <laughs> like, like, wait, don't criminals use Bitcoin? I'm like, well, they do, but like, you can also use it too. The amount of times I had to, it, you know, explain that the Silk Road is, 
it was just a company a few years ago that's no longer around and it's not the only use case for crypto. It's, uh, you know. What are you most excited about in the blockchain? And I'll, I'll even extend it out to even in the cannabis space now that it recently got legal, right? I mean, being a, being a former cannabis guy and now being a crypto guy. So what are you most excited about in these two spaces? Yeah, so for cannabis, I'm most excited about, um, you know, the prohibition ending in Canada, which is, you know, phenomenal and, and a huge landmark. And then hopefully the same to happen in the U.S. Uh, I think the federal government will definitely address the issue sooner than later. So that's definitely exciting in the cannabis space. It's definitely going to be a huge proliferation in the U.S. And, and Canada continues to evolve and the market's maturing. And you're seeing new products and, and new businesses, uh, which is great for everyone in the economy and creating jobs, uh, as well as creating a lot of value for shareholders. Uh, on the crypto side, naturally, I'm very excited about uh, the proliferation of tokenized securities. And of course, I'm biased there, but uh, yeah. I think that... You know, <laughs> totally fine, totally fine. And I was like, of course you answer that way, no worries. <laughs> right, yeah, but I mean, honestly, I think that this new market is, is really exciting. Um, and being able to sort of educate people and eventually bring them new products and, and, and instruments is, is really exciting. I can't wait for more of a focus on, I guess, just securities in general and just like understanding that like, okay, now that everybody's going to go more crypto and more digital, the security aspect is going to be a huge factor in like understanding um, how to be safe, how to protect your assets, how to protect all your investments and just moving forward from there, right? Absolutely. Do you have any, anything else that you, I guess, something that you're curious on, something that's been like, that you've been trying to like rattling your brain on that you want to share other than the core stuff that we discussed today? The bear market's keeping me up at night. <laughs> really? Bear markets? Interesting. Talk, tell me more. Well, I mean, uh, the crypto market is, has, has experienced a massive price squeeze and, and uh, you know, uh, the value has receded quite a bit in the last few months. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that it could be a healthy correction, um, but we haven't seen it moved very much one way or another, which tells me that, you know, investors are scared and probably holding on because they've experienced some pretty big losses. Um, and I'm hoping that, that this will, you know, pass. Mm -hmm. It's just that, just that specific sect. A lot of investors now have become, I think more bearish than before because you're not seeing much good news coming out and you're not seeing much movement. And it's funny because cannabis is such a big focus, you know, two, three years ago. And then, Crypto kind of came out and uh, really took the spotlight for a while, as you saw these massive price increases. Um, and and now now that uh, the crypto prices have come down um, and stayed relatively stagnant, um, cannabis is sort of back in the spotlight. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's a little bit more of like I know we talked about it. It's like it's the bad actors that have been in the space right in the past two, three, four, five years, and they're just running massive pump and dumps of like my water bottle coin just raised a hundred mil and disappeared. It's just like, okay, like you hear those kind of stories. So it makes sense of like why investors would be fearful. But again, it, it kind of really, like, it goes back to what we just talked about. Like education is the key. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. I mean, like it or not. There, there was an IT company that just put crypto in their name and, and, and raised a small fortune just based on that. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's like a joke completely. Um, and, and obviously I'm happy that, investors are, are wising up, but um, at the same time, it's unfortunate that some of the good actors are getting dressed. As traditional investors have a better understanding of what it is, and like instead of like companies just throwing AI and blockchain and ICO just on their pitch deck, 
<laughs> and like actually, okay, well, like how are you actually going to utilize it? And like investors are starting to ask you smarter questions. Those BCD players are just going to pander out and the cream of the crop's going to raise, right? It just, again, it's just, it's a matter of time. Totally. It's a, it's a market evolution. Um, and, and not to mention that there are a number of sort of pump and dumps and, and things like that. that definitely left a sour taste in investors' mouths. Um, you know, companies that RTO'd onto uh, venture exchange and blockchain in their description and raised a whole bunch of capital and then, you know, pretty much disappeared. Yeah. I mean, again, it's thanks to you guys doing your due diligence of actually showing that like, hey, like, there's actually good actors here. This is where there's actually good in this industry and we're going to show you how. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Okay. Absolutely. So... What would be the best way for if people have any questions, they want to get to know Hyperion a little bit more, what would be the best way to either contact you or just contact Hyperion? Would it be we Snapchat you, email you? Like, What would be the best way to contact you? Yeah, so we're in the process of setting up sort of our social media, and actually we're going to be doing some, some uh, you know, very public-facing marketing in the next little bit. We've engaged a really cool branding and ad firm to do that with us. Uh, in the meantime, our website is live, hyperion.xyz. Um, or hyperion.exchange, um, and through that, you can uh, go to our info link and, and send us an email. Okay, awesome. Mike, thanks so much for sitting down with me today, and I mean, I've, I, I learned a lot more about security tokens than I ever thought I would. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it was very engaging. You've been listening to Fintech Fridays, brought to you by NCFA and Partners. Tune in weekly for the latest Fintech Friday podcast by subscribing to this channel. The National Crowdfunding and Fintech Association of Canada is a nonprofit actively engaged with social and investment fintech sectors around the globe and provides education, research, industry stewardship, services, and networking opportunities to thousands of members and subscribers. For more information, please visit ncfacanada.org.